You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. I'm going to invite my friend Jamie Watson up. She is going to read a scripture uh, for today. So if you could welcome her, that'd be great. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet was written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi Magi secretly and found out from, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Awesome. So we are pausing our journey through uh, the book of Acts uh, for a couple of weeks just so we can uh, focus our hearts and our minds and our attention on this season that we're in and this season that we're in you know really belongs really starts with begins with a question I don't know if you've ever been driving and there's a car in front of you and you can see in the car in front of you that they're watching a movie anybody with me have you been in this moment before and you're like yes home alone I love that one or whatever it happens to be. Maybe it's Toy Story or something else. And you're waiting for the light to change. And so you're just kind of... And I think that moment is helpful at Christmas time because it helps us understand a truth. That there's a story that's unfolding in that car. There's a story beyond Home Alone that's unfolding in that car. There's a story within us. That's unfolding in this time of Christmas. We'll throw up that slide, Liam. That'd be great. So, for some people, when they're coming into this Advent time, like there's just like a grief story going on. That there's a weight and there's a heaviness to all of the things um, that they've experienced in life. For other people, it's there's just like a stress thing going on. 
and it's like you can't shake it. Like you go to bed with it and you wake up with it. And for other people, there's like this wandering that's happening. Like trying to find the place where you belong. Like the place where you fit. And I'm not talking like a fit, like when you're putting like a suit coat on. that. It doesn't matter what the numbers are with that thing. It's never comfortable. But I'm talking about like, that favorite sweatshirt that you have in your closet that you're like, yeah, it's okay, three days in a row, it's fine. I don't think this person saw me, so I'll just wear it. Like when you get to that place in your life and like you, this, is, this is what it means to be me. This is where I belong. These are my, my people. Uh, there's like disappointment stories going on. Like things just didn't end up how you wanted them to. Like you didn't think that you were gonna be here you thought you were going to end up somewhere else on the Candyland board. But you're here. And there's actually not a lot that feels like you can do to get to a different spot. It's just good for you to know that the people that we meet in this book, they know a thing or two about disappointment. Like if there's a word we could choose for what it would mean to be an Israelite. To be an Israelite is to be a disappointed person. Because to be an Israelite, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting some more and wandering and wandering and wandering some more. And God sends these priests and these prophets to be of help to you while you wait. But the refrain of the Old Testament is this person did evil in the eyes of the Lord. How disappointing is it when you have a moment in life like that? Someone has done evil. And it creates a storm within you. So some of us are disappointed. Like there's a joy story going on for some of us at Christmas time. There's a lot of music about joy. There's movies about joy. I don't know if you've logged into your Disney Plus or if your Netflix or whatever it is you rock at home, but all these Christmas movies have just kind of found their way into the queue. That must have happened on the eighth day of creation. I don't know when that all happened, but that's just part of it. And it's easy, isn't it, to go, yeah, I don't feel like that. And my question always is like, where's the place where it's good? To say that out loud. It doesn't like feel like that's true where I am in my life. And it's very important to me that church is a place, church is a people, where it's not just okay to say that out loud, like it's good to say it out loud. So that we don't just hold it. So that we don't just grin and bear it so that we don't just like rise and grind every morning. And I'm not talking about the coffee beans. Uh, relief. Like for some people, there's a relief story. It's like, whew, we made it through the summer. We made it through like that beginning part of school. And we're going to have some days off. So that's going to be good. There's all different kinds of stories. So there's a story unfolding in the car in front of you, in the heart next to you, and within you. 
And there's a story in the book of Matthew. If you're new to the Bible, there's a few different accounts of the Christmas story like we get to call it. I think it's actually more accurate and more helpful to call it the gospel, but we're not going to get into a theological fight today. That's just... But Matthew's got a perspective, and Mark's got a perspective, Luke's got a... Right? We've all have, like, there's this gospel is playing out in different ways. And so Matthew presents it in a certain way, and Luke presents it in a certain way. Liam, can you throw that next slide up? Yeah. I realized after I made this, it looks like the Burger King logo. That was not purposeful. I'm not saying you can have it your way, okay? So sorry about that. That makes anybody hungry. Most of us, it doesn't make us hungry. So that's just how that goes. Sorry, Burger King. So in Luke, what do we see in the, in the account? Not just the account of the gospel story, but in particular, like the birth narrative. We see Jesus as a servant. So again and again and again and again in the book of Luke, Luke wants to show us that what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What's the role that he's filling on planet earth? He's filling the role of servant. What's Matthew want to show us? What's Matthew want to tell us about who is Jesus? Matthew wants to point to the fact that Jesus is king. He's ruler of the universe. But he's a different kind of king. He's a different kind of ruler. And so we see this, like, this genealogy. Right? You've done a Bible reading plan, and it's genealogy day, and it's like, nah, I think I'll skip it. Like, if you're new to the Bible, there's a list of the family tree that Jesus finds himself in. Like, we all have a family tree. Mom and dad, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpas, all of that. And what Matthew wants to do is he wants to show that Jesus comes from the royal line, that Jesus is royalty. Because he's writing to a, a group of people at that time that that was really important to them. That was not like, oh, it's okay if you are, it's okay. No, it's like really, really, really important. Like there are some families, it's like really important that like you do things this kind of a way. Anybody grow up in that? And I'm not asking for hands, just asking for reflection. In the first century, it's really important to the people of God that Jesus comes from the priestly line. And so Matthew shows that to this group of people so that they can get an accurate picture of who Jesus is. Uh, Matthew tells us about a guy named King Herod. So there was a time in history where like Herod wanted to crown himself as the king of all the earth. Um, there's this guy named Augustus Caesar. And Augustus Caesar said about Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. So that would tell you a little bit what it was like to live in Herod's house. He was kind of terrible. But Matthew wants to help us with the kind of chronological history of like, where Jesus shows up, where he finds himself, and so kind of uses 
Herod as a marker. It's kind of like when you're giving rural directions, right? It doesn't show up on the GPS wherever you're going. So it's like, hey, after the third barn, there's like a blue machine shed. Turn right at the, you know what I'm talking about? This is what Matthew's doing. He's saying, hey, the time of King Herod. King Herod's ruling the universe when Jesus comes to be born to a newlywed couple. But then we have Magi. Magi from the east, probably Babylon. I think there's a map. Get that Burger King out of there. So here's the journey. And we think that this is where the Magi come from. So you're asking, okay, how far is it to Babylon? That's an amazing question. It has an answer. 900 miles. So here's a follow-up question. Like how far is 900 miles? I don't know, Dallas? It's like 867, but just go with it. Some of you are looking at me like, it's, is it really? That's a little too perfect, bro. So four months of walking would get you to Dallas if you started now. You can go ahead if you want, but that's just kind of how that rolls. And uh, there's kind of like an understanding, well, we sing like we three kings of Orient are, so like are these people kings too? No, they're not kings. They're probably more accurately described as scientists, as astronomers, people who paid attention to the sky. And there wasn't just three of them. We think it's likely that there's a whole entourage. Why would we say that there's more than three? Well, if three people show up to a place that's probably not hitting the news, like maybe it is, but probably more likely that they came with more than three people. So where does the kings, like where does that kind of come from? It comes from Isaiah 60. Liam's going to show us Isaiah 60. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so kind of in Christian history, we kind of let go of the magi, started talking about the kings. I'm not trying to ruin Christmas for everyone. I'm just trying to like get you into the story. You can call them kings if you want. Nobody's keeping score. Uh, But my what's important for us to understand is that who were these people? Uh, These would have been people in the ancient world who would have helped kings interpret dreams. So here's a moment. King has a crazy dream, has a crazy vision. What does he do? He brings somebody who can help explain it to him. And so these were those group of people. Like, help me understand what this dream means, what I should do about it, and They would do their best using the stars and their own intellect and try to explain it for these people because there's nothing worse than waking up with a weird dream and you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? That's who these people were. And my hunch at why they're so interested in the Christ, why they're so interested in this baby born in Bethlehem, and it has to do with Daniel. Because 550-ish years before all of this, there's a teenager from Israel who's in Babylon. And he's in exile. 
He didn't choose to walk all of that way. The 900 miles, he was forced along with a lot of other Hebrew boys to go to Babylon. And what happens to Daniel? He gets put in the king's court. And he sort of gets known for interpreting dreams. And if you're asking me what I think happened, I think the faith of Daniel rubbed off on a whole bunch of people. I think there's a whole bunch of astronomers and people inside of the king's court who saw Daniel's faith. Probably more than they heard about it, to be honest. And that impacted them. And they became interested in this Messiah, this Mashiach, the one that Israel had been waiting for from the the very beginning. I think what's amazing about Daniel's faith is kind of this whole idea that for him and for so many others, like their faith is really an opportunity for to ask hard questions of oneself. Because your faith can do that. Rather than solving what's going on in everybody else's life, like your journey of faith can actually ask you some hard questions. And I think that there's some impact. And so then you have the evidence of faithfulness in Daniel. Showing up day after day in the king's court. And they have some gifts. You could probably name them. They bring gold. They bring frankincense. They bring myrrh. Right? So myrrh is like this uh, ointment that you would use like to put on a dead body. I know it's kind of, it's like, come on, Dave, it's Christmas. But that's what it is. I'm just telling you what it is. You know, and frankincense is this like perfume. And then you have gold and you know what that is. You know, you could tell me the symbolic, you know, deal for that. You have all were in seventh grade with all the elements on the wall and Came time for the test, and they took the chart down, which is really annoying. (laughs) So they bring these gifts. So, like, what did they see exactly? Because there's something that happens in the sky. I don't know, some kind of comet, some kind of supernova, some kind of blinking star. And we don't really know. Like, I don't have an answer for that today. That's not why I'm here to tell you how it all happened, but here's what I do know. Here's what I think is beautiful. Here's what I think is amazing. Here's what I think is wonderful. That God spoke to them in their native tongue. Like God spoke to them in a way that got their attention. Why? Because they cared deeply about it. Here's what else I think is amazing, is that God is working outside of the temple. That in a time where we understood the movement of God as taking place at church, taking place inside of a temple in a worship service with sacrifices, God's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I'm so much bigger than that. I'm not trying to get you in church. I'm trying to get heaven into you. Because when heaven gets into you, then you start to see all kinds of stars out there. So don't get so wrapped up. We see this in the book of Acts. Remember, we talked about this earlier this fall. 
that there's really two kind of groups of people we see in Acts, people who associated with the temple and all that was going on in the temple, and then those who associated with Jesus. Like we're going to choose the temple or we're going to choose Jesus. And the religious leaders, they love the temple. They love to wrap their arms around the temple. They love to spend time in the temple. They love to talk about the temple. It's like somebody that does CrossFit, not trying to hurt anybody's feelings today. But you don't have to wonder if they do CrossFit because they just, oh, oh, talking about it. This is the religious leaders. I offended seven people. It's fine. You can email me. It's Caleb at invitation605.com. <laughs> but then there's a group of people that push against the temple. Why? So they can get their arms around Jesus. His teaching and his healing and his life. So Acts chapter 17. The apostle Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And what? And he does not live in temples built by hands. That's why there's a star. And as Rob Bell has put it so eloquently and beautifully, the whole thing is the temple. The whole thing is the temple. So everything out there is the temple. Whatever the next decade of your life, there's a temple. He does not live in temple built by hands. And so the good news is that the God works beyond the borders. Why? Because the Magi, what do we hear about them? They come from the east. They come outside of Israel. And Matthew is reminding us that Jesus doesn't just belong to us. Like just because you grew up in this deal and you memorized all the things that Jewish boys and girls would memorize, like the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. You learn that before you learn to tie your shoes. But Matthew reminds us, there's these magi. And they don't come from Israel. They come from Babylon. And God's calling them toward the thing that he is doing. And the Magi have a message. You know, there's no really, like, recorded words of the Magi. And so you're like, well, then how did they have a message if they don't have a microphone? How do they have a message if they don't have a couple stories to share and a PowerPoint slide and a joke or two? Like, their lives, their choices are a message. And the choices that they make, the posture that they have on planet Earth is what? Like the Magi are not telling you and me how we should feel. The Magi are showing us where we can kneel. Because they bring the gifts and they kneel before this baby. Before this Christ child. Before this what, Matthew would say? Before this king. So that in the presence of so many other kings, so many other Herods, the Magi would say there's one Jesus. 
And how do we know that? They know that because they are interacting with King Jesus much differently than they are connecting with Herod. They're showing up in a much different way. They're really living out Psalm 95. Maybe some of us who have been around church a long time remember a song that was written after Psalm 95. You can hum it in your head if you want. Don't do it too loud, please. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And yes, it's going to be in your head for the rest of the day. You are welcome. The Magi are living out this psalm. Like they're encouraging us. Like, don't kneel before Herod. No, kneel before Jesus. Like, he's the rightful king because you're not a king because you said you are. And isn't that the way that kings work in our world? Like, our world is full of kings. And it's because they've said. Like, the king of shame in so many of our lives. The king of shame has told you it's king. Like that that moment in your life that you replay in your head over and over and over that you think is definitive of what it means to be you has placed the crown on its own head. But then Jesus steps into the story and says, no, actually not. Actually, you don't get to be king because you said I'm the rightful king of the universe. And I'm very, very patient. When I step into the story, it changes the whole deal. This is what the Magi are calling us to. So the big idea of the Magi as we finish up today is that you and I, people, we will either welcome or we will fight the kingship of Jesus. And there's a lot of evidence in this book that I have up here on the shiny table that that is true. People will fight or people will welcome the kingship of Jesus. And I just wonder in the room today how we're fighting the kingship of Jesus. How we're pushing against it. And I would argue there's really three, there's more than three. But there's three ways of fighting kingship that stick out to me when I think about the Bible. Number one, you can fight the kingship of Jesus by embracing pride. By thinking that, well, that's probably for someone else. I don't know why I would need that. Like, I'm in some way above needing this. You can fight the kingship of Jesus by hiding. I mean, not hiding everything. Just hiding, like, one or two things. We see that in the first humans. And when they're doing that, they're fighting against the kingship of Jesus. We can fight the kingship of Jesus through pride, through hiding, 
but also through the crowning of all of the false kings. That instead of Psalm 95, come let us worship, let us bow down before the Lord our God, our maker, what happens? We end up crowning and bowing down to all of the false kings. And in so doing, instead of welcoming the kingship of Jesus, we fight it. I'm going to invite the band up as we close today. That's so what I don't know about you, but I love the manger. Like the manger is this invitation, and you're like, oh no, of course it is. Everything's an invitation with you. But the manger, I think, is this really beautiful invitation. That like no matter what is unfolding in your life, no matter what's unfolding in your faith, like no matter where you would find yourself today, like the invitation of the manger is not to figure it all out, not to have it all handled, not to understand it all, but the invitation of the manger is to make room for him. To make room for him. Like prepare him room as the Christmas hymns like to talk about. So I just think it's good for you to know today, no matter where you find yourself in this room, like the voice of heaven is saying that to you. Like, let's be a people who would prepare him room. God, will you help me to be a person who creates room for, I mean, you know what this is like. You give someone a ride in your car. And what's in the passenger seat of the front seat more than likely? A whole lot of stuff. Cups and papers and gum and some of us feel a little embarrassed by all that. And what do you do? You, oh, Oh yeah, come on in. Let me move it off the seat for you. You prepare room for the person. And so what do we do while we're waiting? I mean, that's what this season is about. The season of Advent is a season of waiting. And from Moses to Abraham to David to any kind of Old Testament character you could write down on page, what we learn from them, that waiting is part of our formation. Waiting is part of our formation, and at Advent, our proclamation is not so much that we are faithful in our waiting, but that he is faithful in his coming. That's the truth of Advent. Not that we are going to wait perfectly in great faith, but if there's one thing you can stake your hope and your life to, it's that he will be faithful in his arrival. So I don't know how often you think about the Magi. I wonder, church, like, are you open to learning from them? Are you open to receiving their message today? To bow down before the maker of heaven and of earth and to prepare him room. Some of us, the work we might have in Advent is to clear some stuff off the seat. Because there's not as much room as there's been in other times. And going about that work while we wait puts us in a great place 
to see all of the stars of heaven that are leading and guiding and sustaining us to the home that God's created for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today for the truth of your gospel, for the way in which you have chosen to show up on planet earth, for the grace that you've shown us, and for your story, your story of hope, your story of life, your story of joy. God, thanks for the Magi and for how they show us and teach us and God, and even reveal us, pull back the layers of us today in this story that the world's talking about that's very familiar. God, I pray for us, the Advent, you would do a new thing, that you would use an old story to do a new thing, and that we would have eyes to see it. So God, would you instill in us the courage that we need, the honesty that we need to dethrone some of the kings of earth and to understand that what you have said is true of us, is what carries us. What you have done in Christ is the definitive work on planet earth and that we would be manger people. We would be people who understand the thing that you want from us and for us is to prepare room for you. Prepare room for you to speak. Prepare room for you to act. To prepare room for you to convict and to push against and prepare room for you to embrace your people whom you love so much. We pray this in the name of Jesus who came because he loved us. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.